Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in our hands and open to the 127th Psalm. Now we are studying together this summer through Psalm 120 through 134, collectively known as the Psalms of Ascent. These psalms are, of course, songs of worship that Jewish pilgrims sang and recited to one another as they traveled from their homes to the holy city of Jerusalem to make sacrifices and worship Jehovah God. They did this three times a year, various set-aside festival times. And I can imagine as they took time away from their homes and businesses and families that they had the tendency to worry about projects at home that were left incomplete or family members behind who were ill or income that they weren't earning as they traveled. In short, the people of ancient Israel were concerned about the same things those of us living in the modern world tend to be concerned about. This is a psalm for busy people. It is a psalm for people with personal work and financial and familial responsibilities. In short, it's a psalm for people like us. And I pray as we study this psalm, we will be encouraged and blessed to trust God in every area and sphere of our lives. And so let's read it now, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now you likely have a note in your Bible next to the number, Psalm 127, that this psalm was written by Solomon. Solomon, of course, was the son of King David. And he's always been an enigmatic figure to me. On one hand, God granted to him incredible wisdom. He's called at different times the wisest man, the wealthiest man that ever lived. And, and much of what he said is written down and preserved for us in the Bible, including this very psalm that we're studying this morning. Now, on the other hand, in his personal relationships, particularly married life, Solomon's was by any standard of judgment a total wreck. It seems that Solomon failed to live by the wise words that he said. And I pray that will not be the case for those of us studying Psalm 127. I pray that we will be more than hearers or even speakers of this word, but we will in fact prove to be doers of it. In these five short verses, we have laid before us four areas of concern in the human experience. Really, they are four spheres or realms that God's sovereignty is active in and through us. They are in the building of a house, protecting a city, providing a living, and raising children. Now last evening I had the joy of officiating a wedding ceremony of some wonderful young people. Uh, the bride grew up in our church and as they start their life together, just as billions of couples before them have done, I'm sure they had some concerns. 
as they thought about marriage and all of its implications, they probably wondered, where are we going to live after we're married? How shall we be secure or safe? How will we make a living? And will we have children? And those really are the four questions laid forth here in Psalms 127. And my advice to that couple and to any couple thinking about getting married would come directly from this text. That unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It's a great reminder of all, for all of us that whether you've been married for 56 years as Ted Shirley Eaton celebrate today, or you're newlywed, or whether you're single or a widower. So let's begin in verse 1, building a house, this first realm of God's sovereignty. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, the Bible has much to say about building things, about construction. God often is very specific about how He wants things done. Now, for example, when He instructed Noah and his sons to build the ark, Genesis chapter 6 tells us exactly how He wanted it done. He said, I want it made out of gopher wood. He said, then I want the entire thing covered on the outside with pitch. You're to make it 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits tall. And when Solomon, who wrote this psalm, wanted to construct a temple to the Lord, he also was very specific. 2 Chronicles 3 says the temple was to be 60 cubits by 20 cubits. It was to be overlaid with pure gold, right down to the weight of the nails that were to be used in the construction was prescribed there in God's Word. And in the New Testament context, Paul says that the Lord is building His church. Now it's not a church building, although I will confess Psalm 127, particularly verse 1, is most often preached when we're launching a building program. Now we're not launching a building program today. When we say that unless the Lord builds a house, we're talking about a life. Unless the Lord builds your life, you're wasting your time. Now Christ in the New Testament, as we saw a couple weeks ago, is the cornerstone. As the psalmist said, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Also the scripture says that the doctrine of the apostles were the foundation stones. And for every subsequent generation we have been adding our row and our run of stones. And one day God's church will be complete and He'll call us home. But until then we do our part. And unless the Lord does it, though, we labor in vain. It's similar to what Jesus taught in the New Testament of His parable of the wise and foolish builders that every child in Sunday school sings about. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. He's talking about constructing a life on the rock-solid foundation of faith in Christ. Now all of us, I suspect especially when we were younger, had big plans in life. There were things we wanted to accomplish, places we wanted to visit, goals we wanted to fulfill. And if you're like me, likely your results have been mixed at best. Because things happen, don't they? As someone has rightly said, life happens. Things come about, circumstances change. The, the author's point is not that it is wrong or sinful to have dreams or aspirations or goals, what he's saying is that your dreams and aspirations and goals as a Christian must be submitted to the sovereignty of God. And I think the brother of Jesus, James, in his epistle in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, summarizes the point that Solomon is making here in the 127th Psalm when he writes, Now listen, 
You who say today or tomorrow we will go to do this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, we should make plans. We should have strategies, but all the while knowing that the Lord, in His sovereignty, can change those plans and strategies at at any moment. That's what it means to allow the Lord to build your house. Now, once the house is constructed, you want to preserve it. You want to make it secure. And so the second part of verse 1 says, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Now, in the modern world, concern over security looks like a diversified portfolio. If you ever take advantage of the services of a financial planner, he's almost certainly going to say to you that you must diversify your portfolio. You should invest a little bit in bonds, a little bit in stocks, a little bit in real estate. Because that way, if one area of the economy fails, you can fall back on the others. And that's how we tell ourselves we have a secure future. We have a diversified portfolio. But we know how quickly those things can change as well. And so we buy insurance. We have health insurance in case we get sick. We have uh, homeowner's insurance in case there's a tornado. And we have life insurance for when we die. So our families will be cared for. And, and in the meantime, we, we know that there are people in the world who would seek to do us harm. And so we buy security systems and deadbolt locks, and some of us purchase firearms. And those who are very well-to-do likely will hire others to protect their possessions and their own life. But in the ancient world, when you spoke of security, the image that came to mind was the one that he uses here in Psalm 127, that is, living behind the walls of a fortified city. And along the walls of these fortified cities in the ancient world, they would place guard towers, and in those guard towers for 24 hours a day, three watches, they would take turns staying awake all night long in case enemies would approach seeking to do harm. And that's how they slept well at night. There are those on the wall guarding the city. And so again, there is nothing sinful about buying insurance. Don't hear me saying that. There's nothing sinful, I think, about owning a weapon for protection. We live in a dangerous world or locking your doors at night. The point is that if you are depending ultimately on those things to provide your security and you fail to trust God with your life and family, you will be ultimately very disappointed. But even if you manage to build a place to live behind fortified walls, you, you still have to eat. You still have to wear clothes. And so the third realm in which we must recognize the sovereignty of God that Solomon points out is, is that of making a living. Look at verse 2. He says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Now you'll notice that the pronoun his is not capitalized. He's not saying that God gives to us while he is sleeping, because the scripture says God does not slumber, neither does he sleep. He's saying that God is able to provide for his own children and give them good rest at night. Last week before I headed out to Alabama, we stopped by uh, where I have my garden. And we found uh, an abundance of tomatoes and cucumbers and Bermuda grass. And so um, 
we picked some of those uh, tomatoes green because I knew it would be over a week before we got back there and I didn't want them to ruin. But you know, it had been a week since I had tended that garden and in that week, God had blessed with abundance. That's the image I get here. It was not through my labors, but as I slept, God was providing for our needs. And that's his point here. Here the psalmist gets very personal. He's delving into our work. For most of us, when we pray for God to meet our needs, the, the means by which God answers that prayer is the ability and the opportunity to perform labor. In other words, for most folks, work is the means by which our obligations in life are met. Very few of us are born with a proverbial spoon in our mouth and we never have to work. Most of us, that's how we make a living. And so that house that we're building that he mentions usually comes with a mortgage. That retirement plan that we tell ourselves will provide security for the future has to be funded. And those children that we're about to talk about in a moment need braces and blue jeans and piano lessons. And the way that God provides for that thing is the blessing of work. The Bible speaks of work in those terms. Work is not to be viewed as a punishment for sin. I've heard people say that. We have to go to work every day because Adam and Eve sinned. No. Adam and Eve had labor to do before sin entered the world. Genesis 3 tells us that God added to their labor because of sin. But work has dignity and value in and of itself. The Bible says to consider the ant who works hard and puts away in the good times for the lean times. Uh, as New Testament says, if a man doesn't work, let him not eat. And so God answers our prayer to meet our needs through the ability and the opportunity to work. He's saying, though, in Psalm 127, that if we work ourselves into the ground to absolute and utter fatigue and exhaustion for the necessities of life, and we ignore the one who gives us our daily bread, we miss the point. So God gives to his beloved those he loves while they're sleeping. Now, he is not promoting laziness, but rather dependence upon God. Last week as uh, we were crossing the Mississippi River, I noted that it's probably as high a water as I've ever seen at Vicksburg. And it reminded me of a news story I saw last week for some uh, folk who lived up further north along the river and their homes were being threatened by the rising waters of the Mississippi. And the news story showed these people on the video getting ready to fill sandbags to block the water from invading their town. But before they filled the first bag, one of the pastors there called the people to form a circle around the pile of sand and they prayed for God's help. And then they went to work. And I think that is a vivid picture of what we have here in Psalm 127. He's not saying work is bad. He's saying pray that God would meet your needs and then work when he gives you the opportunity to do it and pray some more. Work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. Now, this is Father's Day and I want to, to talk this morning a little bit about the fourth realm of God's sovereignty in our lives and that is in raising a family. Look at verse 3. He says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now this seems like it's been spliced together. These verses, verses three through five, seemingly don't go with the first two, but they do, I think, when we realize this is yet another area of our lives. When we start out in life, we have to have a place to live. We're building the house of our life. We want security to know that we're gonna be okay. We have to make a living. We have to eat and put food on the table and clothe our children. And then we have to create an atmosphere that we can bring these children up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. And we need the Lord's help in all of those things. And so here is a fundamental principle he begins with in verse three. And I wanna highlight it because I want there to be no question about how your pastor believes about the red hot debate that's going on all across our nation about the value of children. I believe what the Bible says here is absolutely true, that children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a good thing. A blessing is something gracious and good that the Lord gives you for His glory. Children are not a mass of cells for you to dispose with as you choose. Neither are children a burden to be suffered. Neither are they an obstacle to be avoided. I'm so blessed to see how so many in this congregation value children. I see it in several ways. I've seen the comeback of the big family in our church. I'm happy to see families in our church that have five, six, seven, eight children. May the Lord bless you. Children are a gift from the Lord. I'm glad that so many in our families, even with children of their own, have chosen to set another place at the table for foster children, and many have even adopted these children. I saw it crystal clearly two weeks ago when I walked in this room and saw 800 children in our Bible school, led by 280 of you who volunteered an entire week to serve them. Thank you for that. But as any parent or any of those 280 adult volunteers would testify, the blessing of children also comes with some hard responsibilities. It's not easy to raise children or to serve children. The point he's making is the pain and the difficulty of rearing children in the nurture and the discipline of the Lord is worth it for the reward of sending them into the world to glorify God. He describes children here as arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. Now, we don't conduct warfare anymore with archery, but we understand the sentiment. In those days, archers were the cutting edge of military technology. They were the most deadly because they were the most accurate. And so these warriors would carry arrows in their quiver that were finely tuned and crafted to fly as straight and as far as possible so that they could have the greatest impact possible. And this is the point that he's making, that we are to raise and nurture our children with an aim of fine-tuning their gifts and abilities so that when they're grown, we can fire them out into a lost and dying world as far and as accurate as possible so that they can have the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. And when you think of the responsibility of child rearing that way, 
It will help you get through some very difficult days because all of us know who have children, there are some very long and difficult days. And I, my wife, Melissa, and I remind ourselves all the time that our goal as parents is not to get to an empty nest so that we can have more time and money to travel. That's not our goal in parenting. Melissa and I have been given four indescribable, unique blessings that God has entrusted us with and like with every blessing God entrusts his children with, it comes with responsibility. We view raising children the same way we view as the financial resources God entrusts us with as a stewardship. And those who view their life as a stewardship know that ultimately we will be held responsible for how we handle the blessings that God entrusts us with. Each child is uniquely and wonderfully made. They're intended to be nurtured and shaped to the greatest impact on a lost and dying world. And so dads here on Father's Day, I want to encourage you to understand this is your greatest responsibility. Because I'm like you. As a dad, I get in the mode of providing. I'm a provider. I've got to put food on the table. And that is part of your responsibility. And then I get in the mode of protecting. I've got to make sure the doors are locked. I've got to make sure that, that I'm ready if someone tried to do harm to my family to, to stand in the way. And that is part of your responsibility. But there's an even greater responsibility that you hold as a man and as a Christian dad. And that is to bring your children up to love the Lord Jesus. To make sure they know that your relationship with Christ is not in word only. That it's the real deal. That all of your life is lived under the submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, we don't have time to exegete Psalm 128, so I just want to read it to you as a prayer and a blessing. This is the result, I take it, of a life that is lived that way. When these four core realms or spheres of your life are placed under submission to the sovereignty of God on a consistent basis, this is what the Lord says is going to happen. Verse 1, Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now you notice that is not gender specific language. It doesn't just say dads or men. It says everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Now we know we fear the Lord when we walk in His ways. That is when we're obedient to Him. Jesus says, uh, you love me if you keep my commandments. And then He says this in verse 2, when you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it be, will be well with you. Now the fruit of your hands is the income, I take it, from the labor that you do. Now, see how that is contrasted back in Psalm 127, verse 2. It says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even his sleep. So if you don't submit your work to the Lord, you can work 14 hours a day and it's not going to come to anything of eternal significance. But when you do your work as unto the Lord, I take it, and not unto men, not only is He going to supply your needs, the fruit of your hand, but He's going to give you joy doing it. You will be happy and it be, will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. So your children are not then an obstacle to overcome when you're submitting even your family life to Him. It's an opportunity to reproduce people who love Jesus. Those olive shoots would 
come forth and they would be transplanted to other places and therefore reproduce in abundance. This is what God wants us to do. Not to just endure the years of parenting, but rejoice in them. See it as labor unto the Lord for His glory. And then we come to verse 4. And I want to read verses 4, 5, and 6 as a blessing over our dads. Can we do that? Can I ask all the dads in our church to stand? And if you will agree with me in prayer, just read these to yourselves as I read this blessing over our dads. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Men, if you want to have true and lasting blessings, fear the Lord. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. You may be seated. And as I want to say to you, we love you. Thank you for providing for our financial needs as our, for our children. Thank you for leading spiritually in our homes. And may the Lord give you grace and wisdom in days ahead. Now let's pray to the Father. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And so clear in Scripture that it's not just a compartment of our life that you are sovereign over. It's not just one sphere or one realm. It is every aspect of our life that you seek to be Lord over. And so, Father, if there's any area of our life, I pray you'd search our hearts and minds today that we are not being submissive, whether it's in our work or our home or our finances or our future or even our thoughts. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would point that out to, to us graciously that we may confess it as sin and turn from it, repent of it. Father, we want to worship you and have um, unbroken fellowship with you. So, Father, we know as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You keep on cleansing us by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I want to pray specifically for the dads in our church. I thank you for each of them. Lord, what a great responsibility it is to bring up the next generation. And Father, I thank you for so many of our dads who are a great example to me and others of hard work and patience, diligence. Father, I pray that there would be a revival and awakening among men. We're seeing their primary duty and task before God of teaching spiritual things and modeling right speech and behavior before their family. Father, I pray you give us the humility to confess when we fail in doing that. And I pray then, Father, that uh, those of us who have parents would be patient and kind with them and, and forgiving just as you have forgiven us. And Lord, I'm often reminded that the only children that deserve perfect parents are perfect children. And none of us meet that criteria. And so Father, I, I pray there'd be sweet fellowship in homes today as we thank you for our dads. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.